Uh, it's interesting when you visit different churches how you hear different hymnody. And I have never heard the hymn Ancient Words. And it's a good one. It's a good one, you know. And um, the older I get, the more ancient resonates with me. <laughs> for, for whatever reason that might be. Um, let me read to you uh, from Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. That's our text this morning, so if you want to open your Bibles, uh, you can. That way you can check and be sure that I'm not teaching any uh, relevant heresies. All right. Ephesians 4, uh, verses 25 to 32. The Apostle Paul, talking to the Ephesians about how their church should behave, he says, Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now, is that easy to do? <laughs> In times of tension, is it easy to speak truth to each other? How many of you have found that truth can be brutal? How many of you have ever used truth to brutalize someone else? How many of you don't tell the truth? <laughs> all right. But the Apostle Paul, understanding all of that, he says, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor performing with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Um, have any of you ever tasted spoiled milk? Do you want that to come out on somebody else? You certainly want to get it out, <laughs> right? but you don't want it on someone else. But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace, undeserved favor to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So let me ask you some questions. We're going to take a rapid poll, okay? How many of you have ever been frustrated or inappropriately angry in emotion or expression toward your parents? I can raise both my hands. <laughs> All 10 fingers, toes, everything, yes. Of course, they're both deceased, so I'm no longer ever angry at them. I just miss them. Uh, how many of you have been angry with your kids? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, how many of you have been angry at your employers. Mm. 
How many of you have been angry with a politician? How many of you been, have been angry in traffic? <laughs> Final question, how many of you have been angry with the Carolina Panthers? <laughs> all right, so we pretty much all stand guilty as charged, right? Which means that this will probably be an appropriate message and it's entitled, Conquering the Angry Spirit a consideration of anger and self-control. Um, I'm a substitute teacher within the Charmec um, school system, and uh, I was at an area high school not too awful long ago, and um, I was teaching senior level uh, social studies. The lesson plan for my second block at that time called for everyone to study for the up upcoming advanced placement exam, all right? So I gave the rules against electronic devices, you know, no phones, uh, no games, no earbuds, uh, no iPods, and any of that kind of stuff. But then a young man, uh, let's call him Jim, okay? Jungle Jim, maybe, I don't know, he's Jim. And he interrupted and he asked if he could sing with his iPod. And then he asked if he could sing a cappella with backup vocals and instruments. So I played air guitar, and it seemed spirited, it seemed fun, but it kind of fizzled when his classmates were unwilling to provide the necessary backup vocals and instrumentation. The class continued, and Jim progressed from this impetuosity to outbursts and monologues, and there was an ongoing disagreement in the class regarding the heating air conditioning in the room. The girls were cold, Ever been there, ladies? There you go. And they wanted it off. The guys were warm. Ever been there, guys? And they wanted it off. They wanted it cool. Jim launched into an outburst about how he was sweaty, couldn't work when it was warm. Then he stripped off his sweater, a sweaty outer t-shirt, and he threw it across the room to a girl and told her to put it on to stay warm. Now imagine you're the recipient. Is that something you want to put on? Probably not. I asked him to dial it down several times. He continued to pop off. Someone said something to him to be quiet, and this kid launched into a two-minute monologue harangue telling her to back off, um, and it disrupted again the entire class. As you can tell, this is going on. You're probably wondering, Steve, where was the substitute? <laughs> I was there. So afterwards, um, I knelt by his desk, I quietly asked him to control himself and stop with the distractions and outbursts. Surprisingly, he refused. <laughs> uh, he said he, he'd launched into the harangue because he felt disrespected. He argued with me, he told me I was asking him to not be himself. He insisted that he would be himself despite my instructions and said I was wasting his time and distracting him from his studies by talking to him about his behavior. Wow. <laughs> when I said he lacked prudence, he asked me to define it. Now, if this had been a language arts class, I would have asked him to define it, but it was social studies. And when I responded, he said he um, was being prudent by not back-talking further to me. 
And that's when I realized he needed to exit the room with a discipline referral. When security arrived, he launched into another monologue and he said they would be talking heavy when he arrived at the assistant principal's office. And I stopped by that principal's office after the block. He told me the discipline he was imposing and said Jim was very angry. At first, I thought Jim was just being playful and colorful. And in fact, um, Lana and my first fight in our marriage, and our last one, but our first fight in our marriage resulted from me being inappropriately playful uh, when I was trying to make a point that I shouldn't have been trying to make. So I understood. He lacked self-control, he was dominated by anger, and it's not an uncommon problem. So let's define it. Um, you've got some notes that you can take. Uh, by definition, this is what they say anger is. It's a strong feeling of displeasure and belligerence aroused by a wrong, wrath, or ire. Anger is an emotional state that may range in intensity from mild irritation to intense fury and rage. Anger has physical effects, including raising the heart rate and the blood pressure and the levels of adrenaline and no adrenaline. Um, it also, synonyms for it are fury, rage, madness, infuriation, enragement, umbrage, umbrage, okay, uh, offense, indignation, outrage, huffiness, dander, hackles, bad temper, ill temper, annoyance, chafe, vexation, lots of words for it, right? I'm irritated with you. That's a lower level of anger, okay? You frustrate me. That's a level of anger, okay? Now, Philosophers like Aristotle, who uh, tutored Alexander the Great, by the way, he considered anger to be the strongest of the passions. There are two New Testament words for anger. The first one is orge, and that should be up on your notes that I don't see projected. Um, and that refers to a violent passion reaching out of the mind, and it refers to anger as, and as you're filling in the blanks, refers to anger as a state of mind. The next is the Greek word thamos, and that is passion or fierceness, indignation. It comes from a word that means to rush or slaughter. So in your notes, here's what it should be as you're filling in blanks. It refers to wrath as an outburst with the purpose of revenge. Thomas outbursts almost always arise from a mind that's already in the state of orge, the low level of anger, the slow burning undercurrent of, and this is the next fill in the blank word, undercurrent of dissatisfaction, annoyance, anger, and offense that's been left unattended and undealt with. So that's what we're dealing with when we deal with the New Testament words for anger. Now, let me say this in the introduction right up front, and this is C in your notes. Anger is a natural emotion, and it's not sin in itself. 
Ephesians 4.26 tells us we can be angry without sin. God tells us to be like Him. And have you ever read any scriptures in the Old Testament where God is angry? Yeah, for God is angry with the wicked every day. And if the wicked turn not, the Lord has bent His bow and made it ready. Yeah, He gets angry. He expresses it many times. The interesting thing about God is, is that God is all that God is all the time. Okay? That's called the simplicity of God. God isn't sometimes angry and sometimes filled with grace. God is simultaneously angry and filled with grace. And his anger is an expression of his grace and an expression of his love. Kind of like you say, you know, I need to knock some sense into that kid. I need to take a baseball bat to his head. You know, figuratively, nobody's going to take a baseball bat to their kid's head. I hope, all right? But you, you understand, sometimes people need to like, back up, you're missing it here. And sometimes that's important. Um, God, there are hundreds of references to his anger over the centuries that the Old Testament was written. Yet, it says he is slow to anger and full of mercy. I mean, it took sometimes centuries for God to express his anger, anger at years of apostasy in Israel. But when he did, it was decisive for the purpose of turning them. Perfect example, the Babylonian captivity. Perfect example of that. Now, the problem with anger arises from two areas. And James 1:19 uh, to 20 tips us off. And here's your next thing to fill in. Anger is a problem if it is driven by human impulses that are not under the control of the Holy Spirit. James says the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. It's the anger of God that achieves the righteousness of God. And we need to be able to determine it, and I'm hoping that by the end of the sermon we'll have made some headway there. Also, anger driven by human impulses expresses itself in negative ways that have strong consequences. Have you ever had consequences for expressing your anger or expressing it inappropriately? Um, do you have high blood pressure? <laughs> Has it been the result of a slow boil that you've just suppressed, but you've never really, really been able to deal with? Um, do you find that you're frightened of certain situations where you should have confidence um, because you feel inadequate, and when pushed to go beyond your inadequacies, you retaliate, maybe? You see, these impulses can have strong consequences. And especially in an assembly of believers where we are charged with unity, not uniformity, but with unity, we certainly have to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Paul links anger to, and this is your next fill in the blank, to bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander, malice, enmity, strife, jealousies, disputes, dissensions, factions, 
and abusive speech. So you're filling the blanks of bitterness, slander, and disputes there. And Paul links anger to all of those things, the inappropriate expressions of anger. Now, let's go to something that Aristotle said, and I think it's brilliant, and he's providing the outline for how we're going to unpack the scriptures. He said this, listen to it. Anyone can become angry. That is easy. How many agree? Okay. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way. This is not easy. So we see five elements of prudence with regard to anger. It must be directed at the right person. It must be in the right degree. It must be at the right time. It must be for the right purpose. And it must be done the right way. Boy, you would think that Aristotle was a Christian. But I'll tell you this. All thoughts that are true arise from the Most High. So it doesn't matter, Balaam's ass spoke truth to Balaam. So it doesn't matter where it comes from, because all truth is God's truth. Now, these five elements of self-control that are needed when expressing anger, these are the five elements of self-control. So this morning what I want to do is discuss these five things by way of pastoral counsel. And by the end of the message, I would like you to recommit yourself to only express your anger constructively in ways that benefit the person with whom you are angry and that ultimately glorify Christ. Express your anger in ways that benefit the person with whom you are angry and ultimately glorify Christ. Will you be 100% successful? I was not successful in that high school with that angry young man at getting him to change when I confronted him. No, you won't be 100% successful. That's why the scriptures say, as much as lieth within you, be at peace with all men. But it doesn't all lie within you. But you are responsible for you. Agreed? We are responsible for ourselves. Okay, so, express your anger constructively for the benefit of the person with whom you are angry to the glory of God. Here are five commitments I would like you all to consider making. The first one is this. When I am angry, I will be angry at the right person. At the right person. Let me share with you a famous song where there was a man who was angry and frustrated and depressed and it took him all song to realize that maybe he was the problem. Listen to the words. Nibbling on sponge cake, watching the sun bake, all of those tourists covered with oil, strumming my six string on my front porch swing, smell from those shrimp they're beginning to boil. Wasting away again in Margaritaville, searching for my lost shaker of salt, some people claim that there's a woman to blame, but I know it's nobody's fault. 
I don't know the reason I stayed here all season. Nothing to show but this brand new tattoo, but it's a real beauty, a Mexican cutie. How it got here, I haven't a clue. <laughs> Wasted away again in Margaritaville, searching for my lost shaker of salt. Some people claim there's a woman to blame. Now I think, well, it could be my fault. I blew out my flip-flop, stepped on a pop-top, cut my heel, had to cruise on back home. But there's booze in the blender and soon it will render that frozen concoction that helps me hang on. Wasting away in again in Margaritaville, searching for my lost shaker of salt. Some people claim that there's a woman to blame and I know it's my own, fill in your own blank, fault. All right, we do have to be sanctified when we preach, so we can't use all the words. But do you see what's happening here in Jimmy Buffett's song? I had a problem with a woman and I'm here and the way I'm getting away from all of these emotions is just to drown myself in booze and intoxicate myself. And he comes to the conclusion at the end, it was my fault. It was my fault. So, when I'm angry, I won't be angry at her. I'll be angry at me. I'll be angry at the right person. When I'm angry with bad service in some business establishment, um, I'm going to notice the chain of command. I'm not going to dump. If I think I can have a positive impact, maybe I'll mention it to someone. Most of the time, I just probably won't return quite as quickly. All right? Now, to locate the right person, and this is the tough thing, who should I be angry with? I want you to consider, and this is under B, number one, consider Satan's strategy with your anger. Just take a moment. Have you ever read, how many have read the screw tape letters? Okay, if you want to know how the devil thinks, read that book. And if you want practical counsel as to how to live a godly life, do the opposite of what Uncle Screwtape, the main tempter, wants you to do, okay? In paragraph five of chapter six, Screwtape discusses the, the fantasy world that so many Christians live in. It's a world where all of our affections and our virtues are expended upon imaginary objects that are distant from us never touching our wills or impacting our habits in a way that ministers to the people in closest proximity to us. Screwtape asks his understudy, Wormwood, to envision his patient as something akin to the diagram below when he says, I want you to think of your man. Now, in other words, this young Wormwood was charged with tempting a particular young man until he comes to the gates of hell. Think of your man as a series of concentric circles. His will is the innermost, his intellect comes next, and finally his fantasy. You must keep on shoving all the virtues outward till they are finally located in the circle of fantasy. And all the desirable evil qualities inward into the man's will. It is only so far as they reach the will and are there embodied in habits 
that the virtues are really fatal to us and our cause. What is he saying? I want you to imagine how we do politics in our country. It is so easy to say we care about all the people out there and never help a person at our doorstep. Do you understand that? It is so easy to say I will throw money that way if I don't have to be personally involved. Okay? We, it is so easy to say, well, I'm kind and generous because of the way I think philosophically. And yet be sitting in a church pew and be upset with the way someone is dressed that's in the room. Do you understand what I'm saying? The purpose of Satan is to get us to imagine the fantasy that we're good people because of what's out there that we care about. While all the while bringing into us things that poison us where we never take action in the immediate circumstances in which we find ourselves. Oh, I'm not a bad person because I get mad in traffic. Everybody does that. I'm a good person because I don't get mad at and you fill in the blank out there. You see how that works? And that's part of Satan's strategy. Push all of the good virtues out toward fantasy. Bring all of the bad qualities into the will and make that person act in his day-to-day -day life on those things. And that's what this little diagram that you have right there for you embodies. So, when it comes to anger, Satan wants us to look everywhere but our own heart. He does not want us to put the blame where it belongs. But when I'm angry, I have to be angry with the right person. Please, and this is the next point, allow yourself to be healthily introspective. Imagine disciples who had walked with Christ for three years and he says in the upper room, one of you will betray me. Eleven of the twelve asked the sincere question, is it me? Is it me? Peter, who Jesus had said to him, get thee behind me, Satan, is it me? Could it possibly be me? It couldn't possibly be me, could it? Be introspective. Don't dwell on it. Don't brood on it. But be honest with God. Is it me? Second thing, when I am angry, I will be angry to the right degree. Uh, some of you met my uh, younger son, our younger son, uh, when we were here last around the Christmas season. I remember once when Seth was very young, um, I blew up at him and went over the top on an issue. He had let slip a family secret that could have damaged his brother. Now his brother hadn't done anything wrong, but it was just one of those situations where you say this isn't something you tell everybody. And um, I went off on him, he was just a little guy. And um, I remember feeling horrible afterwards about that and having to go to him and apologize and say, I, I think that what you did was wrong, but my reaction was, you know, 
you, you let go a firecracker and I set off an atomic bomb. And I apologize for that. I was so concerned for his brother that I forgot him. And I had to care about both of them. Um, be angry to the right degree. To determine the right degree, and this is a fill in your blank, you need to know your audience. You remember when Jesus got angry with the money changers? Do you realize that the day before he did that, he had gone to the temple and he had basically done a reconnaissance of the entire area? He knew what was going on. He wasn't upset that they were slaughtering sheep. That's part of the system. He wasn't upset that they were selling turtle doves and things like that. That's part of the system. He wasn't upset that the high priests controlled the agriculture and all of the animals that were being raised and sold for that purpose. That's legitimate, okay? What he was upset with was the unequal exchange rates where people were getting cheated because this currency wasn't in fair balance to what they were paying. And then he went in and he cleared house. Jesus and the money changers, he knew what he was doing, he knew his audience. And I would also say this, under determining the right degree, please make sure that you take no pleasure in hurting the one with whom you're angry. Wow, that one hits me, does it hit you? Please make sure that you take no pleasure in hurting the one with whom you are angry. I don't care that the song says you always hurt the one you love. You don't have to. <laughs> Take no pleasure in it. Third big point, okay? So we've come a long way. We've come halfway. When I'm angry, I'll be angry with the right person. When I'm angry, I'll be angry to the right degree. Roman numeral three, when I am angry, I will be angry at the right time. I want to take you back to the days of the Civil War. Uh, many of you were very young then, so you wouldn't remember it. <laughs> but in the early days of the Civil War, Lincoln had real difficulty with generals who just wouldn't fight. Part of it was the political environment. A lot of people felt, well, they have the right to secede. Okay, the states made the union, the states have the right to leave the union because the states are really the ultimate authority. That had not really been settled. And Lincoln's point was, well then if anybody can peel off at any time for any reason, you don't have a union anyway. You don't even have a country, you can't take it to that extreme. Well, his main general, General McClellan, George McClellan, was of the first mindset. And so he really didn't want to fight. He could have won the war early on if he had just pursued Robert E. Lee's forces hard, but he squandered all kinds of opportunities, all the while fancying, fancying himself as a young Napoleon. Lincoln even promoted McClellan to the rank of general in chief, hoping to motivate him, but to no avail. 
One evening, Lincoln traveled with two of his staff members to visit McClellan at his encampment and to encourage him to prosecute the war more aggressively. They arrived to find that McClellan was attending a wedding. The president and his aides sat down to wait. An hour later, McClellan arrived and without paying any attention to the president, he ascended the stairs to his chambers not to return. Half an hour later, Lincoln sent a servant to remind the general that they were waiting to see him. The servant returned to report, the general has gone to bed. Lincoln's aides were wroth, but the president, silent, merely arose to return home. He explained to them, quote, this is no time to be making points of etiquette and personal dignity. I would hold McClellan's horse if he will only bring us success, end quote. McClellan was ultimately replaced by Lincoln, only to run against Lincoln for the presidency in the 1864 election. Now, imagine that, commander-in-chief, and your general won't even show you enough respect. Would Lincoln's anger have been justified at that point? Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. The point of the story is not to say to never be angry and to never bring it to mind at the point. The point is to say this, we as Christians must go to the nth degree to be patient. Do the best we can. When I'm angry, I'll be angry at the right time. So to determine the right time, this is B, you must, one, consider the person um, who will be most receptive to your, or re determine when the person will be most receptive to your words. Remember, that person's receptivity is more important than your need to vent. So the question is, when will they be most receptive? And then, properly judge the urgency of the circumstances. Is this really a big deal? Is this something I need? If I were to wait five minutes, would this drop by about 200% in intensity? Okay? So determine the right time. You have to be receptive to when they will be receptive to your words. And then you have to properly judge the urgency. Now, can I make those decisions for you? No but the Holy Spirit can. And that's who we look to, right? That's who we pray to. Number four, when I am angry, I will be angry for the right purpose. Martin Luther thought that his most profitable emotion uh, was anger. For when he was angry, his mind was clear and he was best able to devise the arguments that reformed the church. It was a ballistic time back when Martin Luther lived. Um, the Catholic Church at that time, through the sacraments and through the priesthood, were controlling, seemingly controlling salvation for every person on the planet. 
It had to go through the ordained priesthood. You had to have the right sacraments and rites performed. They had to be done at the right time. And all the while, the priests did not necessarily have to be moral themselves. When he visited Rome, when he took the stairs up the Vatican, one thing he noticed is that all, so many of the priests in Rome at that time had a chick on the side. It was a time to be furious. And he channeled it. Not always the right way. We can read some of his diatribes against the Jews. He wasn't the nicest guy all the time. But he was angry for the right purpose. To bring the church out of bondage and into the light. To bring them into grace. To bring them into personal relationship with Christ, to get them to where they weren't just listening to Latin that so many in the pews didn't understand, but he translated the Bible so that they could understand it in their native tongue. <clears throat> Think about what his anger drove him to do through the course of his life, coupled with his compassion for people. My goodness, he even married. Can you believe it? An example of using anger constructively. To determine the right purpose, you have to do this. One, put God's redemptive agenda above every other purpose. Ask yourself, if I get angry at this person, could I share the gospel with him 30 seconds from now? Could I? Would I embody it in the way I got angry, in a way that could transition into the gospel? Put God's redemptive agenda above every other purpose. Two, put the needs of the many above the impulses of the moment. Bruce Goodrich, back in 1994, was being initiated into the cadet corps at Texas A&M. One night, he was forced to run until he dropped, but he never got up. He died before he even entered college. A short time after the tragedy, his father wrote this letter to the administration, faculty, student body, and Corps of Cadets. Quote, I would like to take this opportunity to express the appreciation of my family for the great outpouring of concern and sympathy from Texas A&M University and the college community over the loss of our son, Bruce. We were deeply touched by the tribute paid to him in the battalion. We were particularly pleased to note that his Christian witness did not go unnoticed during his brief time on campus. Mr. Goodrich went on, I hope it will be some comfort to know that we harbor no ill will in the matter. We know our God makes no mistakes. Bruce had an appointment with his Lord and is now secure in his celestial home. When the question is asked, why did this happen? Perhaps one answer will be so that many will consider where they will spend eternity. Talk about the right purpose. Talk about allowing your anger to be transformed into a mode of grace when they ran your kid to death. 
What an example. Roman numeral five, our final point. When I am angry, I will be angry in the right way. Anybody remember the uh, point guard for the next Walt Frazier? Okay, I know how many and how old they are. Okay, okay. <laughs> many years ago during a Knicks-Bullets playoff game, boy, you can't get by their wizards now. Wizards are less harmful than bullets, apparently. But during a Knicks-Bullets playoff game, one of the bullets came up from behind Walt Frazier, punched him in the face, and strangely, the ref called the foul on Frazier. Frazier didn't complain. His expression never changed. He simply called for the ball and put in seven straight shots to win the game. An amazing display of productive anger. When I am angry, I will be angry in the right way. When I am angry, I will go out and I will cut the grass. When I am angry, I will pick up the twigs. I will chop lumber so that we have it in our fire pit when the winter comes. I will channel my anger in the right way. There are right ways, okay? So, to determine the right way to be angry, you must, number one, remember the importance of your testimony. You show deference to authority when at all possible. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. There is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. That doesn't mean you always obey them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer didn't. None of the prophets in the Old Testament always obeyed. The Apostle Paul didn't obey in Philippi when the magistrates told him to come out of the prison. And he says, no, we're Roman citizens. You have them come to us. And he bought 10 years of freedom for the gospel throughout the Macedonian region because of the way he handled Philippi. History tells us this, okay? Remember the importance of your testimony while showing deference to authority. Two, you put your energy to productive use. Remember the game within the game. Remember, remember Satan wants all your virtue out there. He doesn't want any of it in here so that it comes here to the people around you. Remember that game within the game, okay? Remember, it's all about you winning over you, okay? It's less visible, that game within the game, but it's infinitely more important. Now, we ran out of eggs at the Withrow house uh, this morning. I was going to bring some hard-boiled eggs here, but not tell you they were hard-boiled. And I was going to distribute them to you. Um, and I was going to do it in illustration of this. I want to read to you, William Barton was a pastor, early 20th century. He was a great Lincoln biographer. He wrote for a magazine every month, a Christian magazine. And he would do parables where he would take King James English, okay, and he would put him in his modern day uh, situations. And I wanna read to you one that he wrote called The Bad Temper. There came unto me one who said, 
I have a very bad temper. And he said it with what he thought was humility, but it was as it had been a certain sort of pride. And I said, thou art a narrow-minded man. Then he was angry, and I knew that he was no liar when he said that he had a bad temper. And when he had said more or less, I silenced him, and I said, I believed thee when thou saidest that thou hadst a bad temper. I did not ask thee to make such a display of it. And he said, thou hast insulted me. For a quick temper is not the sign of a narrow mind, but of a warm and generous nature. For I am quick to, if I am quick to be angry, I am also quick to get over it, and very ready to make amends." End quote. Now, we spake in the garden. I left him for a moment, and when I returned, I had been in the kitchen and brought back an egg. And I threw the egg at the back fence, and it break, and it spattered on the fence. And I said, thou speakest of making amends. Gather up that egg again, clean off the fence, put the egg back into the shell, and set a hen upon it, and make of it a Plymouth Rock rooster. Then tell me of making amends for thine outbursts of temper. For thou spatterest all over thy friends, and thou splashest them with thy fury, and then thou dost leave them to clean off thy rage, and try to forget thine unreasonable words, and thou thinkest thou hast made amends. And he said, and I said, the best way to make amends for a bad temper is to keep thy temper to itself. And he said, Verily thou didst say to me that I had a narrow mind, and I will take that from no one. And I said, Thou wilt take it once again from me. <laughs> thou hast a narrow mind. He, and catch this, he who hath a bad temper is a person who is capable of seeing but one aspect of a thing at a time, and incapable of withholding his snap judgment until he may learn the whole truth. And because he is both narrow-minded and childish, therefore doth he fly into a rage, as thou hast done and habitually dost do. Flatter not thyself that this is a sign of a generous nature, for I have told thee already of what it is a sign. And he went silent. And I went and got out the hose and started to wash off the egg from the fence, and he would not have it so, but caught the nozzle from my hand and himself washed off the egg from the fence. And he said, though I be not able to produce a Plymouth Rock rooster from that egg, yet it hath not been wholly wasted. And I am inclined to think that he had learned something that was worth the price of an egg. And I would like to buy some more of them and teach to other men and some women the same lesson. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that a great story? You can't just say, I lose my temper and I make amends. You don't know what you may have killed in the person when you let it cut loose, right? Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech 
always be with grace. And this is a fill in the blank. Seasoned as it were with salt so that you may know how you should respond to each person. So in review, the five elements of prudence with regard to anger, be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way. Aristotle said it's not easy, but the Bible makes it clear that it is our responsibility. So how do you respond during stressful times? Does your anger burn its object or does it bless it? Does it wound or does it heal? Does it spatter or does it nurture? Brethren, be angry and sin not. Amen? Amen.